0: birthday cake for Jesus, want to thank our kids for providing the Christmas story for us, thank our Sunday school staff, everybody who had a part uh, last week in making that Christmas celebration such a joy, thank you so, so much. And so we come to the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we reflect upon the promise of Jesus, the promise of the coming of Jesus Christ. So again, this is our fourth Sunday of Advent, but tonight, the Christmas celebration. Begins. Come back at 10 o'clock tonight if you're able to and celebrate our traditional candlelight service. So today for the fourth Sunday of Advent, the first reading comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7. After the king was settled in his place, that is King David, after King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, who is a prophet, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build uh, build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And then verse 16. Your house, David, and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Here is the reading of God's word. And the second lesson for this fourth Sunday of Advent is from Romans 16. St. Paul writes, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, So that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand for the reading of our gospel lesson. The gospel lesson is taken from Luke, the first chapter, beginning with the 26th verse. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, Then the angel left her. This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Thank you. Thank you for entering into our world. Thank you for entering into this world to be our Savior. And Lord, we see as we study Scripture that this this promise of Jesus was given so long ago. And we thank you that today we have the honor and the privilege of living in this promise. This promise given to Adam and Eve. This promise given to Abraham. This promise given to Abraham's descendants. This promise given to King David. This promise given to the prophets. Fulfilled by your birth, by your life, by your death and your resurrection. Thank you that we live now. When we can live in the joy and the peace and the hope and the love of this reality. So fill our hearts with your spirit today. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to receive you afresh and anew today. Amen. You may be seated. The birth of Jesus Christ is a monumental event in human history and the birth of jesus christ has great significance for you such a monumental event in the history of our universe and yet we know from the scriptures that he was born for you it has great significance for you and for all the people of the earth so today i'm going to give you a little taste of the promise of jesus throughout the bible We believe that the whole Bible, from the first chapters of Genesis to Revelation, point to Jesus Christ. We believe that the whole Bible is about Jesus. So today we're going to look at the promise of Jesus as revealed in Bible history. As we study the Bible, we learn that human history has meaning. God's involvement in human history proves that life has great meaning. God did not create this universe, wind it up uh, like a watch or a clock and then abandon and and leave his creation. He he created the universe. He created this world and he's engaged in this world. And he, he desires to be engaged, to be involved, to be a part of your life today. So all of human history, and and you included, you have great meaning and significance. God loves you. He knows your name. Every hair on your head is numbered. He loves you. And This is amazing considering creation, considering how vast the universe is. Well, first, we can say that life has meaning because we are God's creation. Human existence is not a cosmic accident. You see, the world has great order and precision. The order and the precision of this universe are the result of God, God creating the universe. And your life has great meaning, too. Our world is not an accident. And you're not an accident today either. You may have been a a surprise in your parents' timing. But you're not an accident. Your life has great meaning and significance. God created the universe, this universe with great precision. He created the first people, Adam and Eve. God created humanity with free will. And because we have a free will... We're free to reject God. We're free to reject the creator. You see, God didn't create people programmed to fear, love, and trust God. Uh, In this day, in in the robotic age, I guess we're moving into this time with with artificial intelligence and robots and a bunch of crazy things happening in our world. I suppose you could program a a robot to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. But would a programmed robot really love you? Can they truly... Only a person with volition, with with free will, a person who can choose, can truly say, I love you. And so God created us to love him. He gave us a free will. He didn't program us like robots. He gave us a free will to say, I choose you Lord I love you I accept you and I receive you God wants us to truly love him to be devoted to him and today you are free to reject the reality of God you're free to reject his love so the evidence of a a creator is clearly seen in the order of our natural world but because of sin The scriptures say that we choose to neither glorify him as God, nor give him thanks. And in rejecting God, our thinking has become futile, and our hearts are darkened. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for other things. We've replaced God with things inferior to the one true God. We replace God with things that cannot save us. And people have been turning to the things within creation for salvation and meaning rather than turning to the creator. So today you can turn to your creator who loves you. You can receive him. You can receive his love and his grace. You see church, meaning is not found in what has been created A lot of neat things in our world, things that have been created. You know, I love many of the things within this world which are good, gifts from God. But meaning is not found in that which is created. Meaning is found in the creator himself. And he invites you today to know him, to trust him, and to find salvation in him. Our creator is is outside of, of space, time, and matter. In other words, our creator is not of this creation. Our creator was there. God was there before the universe came into existence. God spoke and everything came into existence. Before the universe came into being, God was there. He spoke. And bang, the universe came into existence ever since the moment God spoke <clears throat> the universe has been expanding but how can such a well ordered universe emerge from a chaotic beginning the Christian answer the reasonable answer is God God is the one who brings order out of chaos God is bigger than time He's bigger than space. He's bigger than matter. And here is the miracle. God is mindful of you. He cares about you. He loves you. And when you reflect upon the baby in Bethlehem's manger, you must understand that the baby who was born of the Virgin Mary is the creator. Not just another prophet or another preacher. Jesus is not just another guru. Jesus is God in human flesh. The Almighty, the one who was bigger than time, space, and matter. The Creator God became a part of His creation. Almighty God became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. THE ONE WHO SPOKE THE UNIVERSE INTO EXISTENCE TOOK ON FLESH AND BLOOD AND BONE. HE FED FROM HIS MOTHER'S BREAST. HE POOPED IN HIS DIAPER. HE BLED. HE DIED. HE HAD A FULL HUMAN EXPERIENCE. Imagine THE CREATOR, GOD ALMIGHTY. The one who is bigger than time, space, and matter. Became a baby in a humble manger. The only difference between Jesus and us is that he is sinless. We have sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. But he is the sinless, holy, and righteous God. The sinless creator, God Almighty, became a human being. Why? He did this for you and for your salvation. The answer for your life is found in Jesus. The creator took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. So all of human history, all of human history, and here we come to Bible history, all of human history led up to that event in Bethlehem's manger. The event of Jesus' birth is a monumental event in human history. And what's really remarkable from our human point of view is that the Creator God decided to be born in such humble circumstances. Not a a royal palace. King David, his human ancestor, lived in a splendid palace. Not Jesus. Not a royal palace, a humble stable. The place where the animals were kept. Maybe this was to show that the Creator will only identify with people of humble disposition. The Bible tells us that God is opposed to the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. Thanks be to God. He took on flesh to redeem us from the mess of sin. From the mess of our darkened minds and hearts. And even people who are not very humble, like me much of the time, can be humbled and drawn to repent and to trust in Jesus. But what about those who lived before Jesus? They, they didn't have Jesus. Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. What about those who lived before the birth of Jesus? How could they benefit from the birth of humanity's Savior when they lived before the time of Christ? If salvation is found in Jesus, then how can those before Jesus be saved from this messed up world? Well, here's the thing. Both those who lived before and those who lived and lived after The birth of Jesus are saved the same way. Old Testament and New Testament. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We're all saved the same way. Those who lived in the Old Testament times before Christ were saved because they trusted in the promise of the Savior who was to come. They looked forward. To Messiah. They looked forward to the birth of the virgin. They anticipated this Savior who was to come. And because they trusted in the Savior who was to come, they were granted the forgiveness of sins and salvation. They were justified by faith. You see, throughout human history, God has been promising the Savior. Do you know where the very first promise of Jesus is found in the Bible? The very first promise of Jesus is found in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3.15, the promise of Jesus was given. In Genesis 3.15, God promised that a male descendant, born of a woman, would crush the head of the devil... So the first promise God gave of a savior of Jesus was given right after they rebelled and fell into sin. All believers who lived from the time of Adam and Eve to the time of Jesus' birth looked forward to the coming Messiah, the one who would save us from our sins. Then the promise was given to Abraham and to his descendants, and then to David, to the prophets, and finally, when the time was just right, the Old Testament promised Messiah was fulfilled in Bethlehem, in a stable just for you. The Son of God was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. In this morning's Old Testament reading, God gave King David the promise of a descendant who would rule forever. Second Samuel 7:16 Your house David and your kingdom David will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So we ask the question, how can David's throne be established forever? Didn't the Babylonians invade Jerusalem in 586 BC? Wasn't that the end of the dynasty of King David? Didn't the rule of David end there? No. The literal throne was done away with. In 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded Jerusalem. The literal throne in Jerusalem was done away with. But Jesus, a direct descendant of David, was born the king. And he is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise because he is the king whose kingdom is not of this world. And his rule and his reign is today and for eternity. And the people of Israel longed for this messianic king who would save his people. Sadly, most rejected Jesus. Most would not receive Christ as Savior. Why? Why did they reject Jesus? It's because they were looking for a political savior. They were looking for earthly answers. Jesus didn't come for the purpose of politics. Jesus came for you. He came because you need your sins forgiven. I need my sins To be washed away. And you and I, we need a king today who will lead us. And guide us. Both today and into eternity. So what you and I need today is we need a king who will save us. Not from Roman oppression. But to save us from sin. To save us from death. To save us from the power of the devil. This is what I need today. You see, without Jesus I'm under the power of sin. Without Jesus, you're under the power of sin. Try as hard as you as you can to live a holy life before God. Try to go one day without sinning in thought, word, or deed. I wouldn't last a minute. Those of us who are Christians, we must confess that we have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. Wherefore, we flee for mercy to Jesus. You see, in Jesus, you are free from the power of sin by a simple word, from Jesus to you. Your sins are forgiven. They are. They are forgiven today. You're free from the power of sin. Without Jesus, you're under the power of death. People have tried and tried and tried to extend human life. And I suppose through modern science, we've made some progress. People are living longer now, I guess, than, uh, in, at least in recent history. We know in the Old Testament, they lived a really long time. They try to live in this body for eternity. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Simple reality of living is that one day they're going to they're lay my, my body in a grave. And what hope is there at the grave? What hope is there? Without Christ, there is no hope. But in Jesus, you have the promise that though the body dies, you will live forever. Because Jesus, he is the resurrection, and the life. Though we die, yet shall we live. It's the hope of the gospel. So without Christ, we're under the the control of sin, the power of sin, the power of death, and without Jesus, you're under the spell of the devil. And this sounds so medieval. Under the power of the devil, what are you talking about. This is 2023. We're about ready to enter into 2024. Why are you talking about the devil? Well, we believe, we teach, and we confess that there is evil spiritual realities within this world. There are wicked spiritual beings who battle against the truth of Christ. They desire our death, our destruction, They kill and they destroy, and the way they kill and destroy is by destroying faith, killing faith in Jesus. They want to lead us away from the source of life, of love, of joy, of peace. And and Satan works the same way as as he has since the beginning. What words did the enemy speak to Adam and Eve? Did God really say? That's what the enemy said. Did God really say? He works the same way. Did God really say he wants to destroy trust in the truth of God's word and the truth of Christ? But when a person trusts in Jesus, they are set free. You are forgiven. Eternal life is yours. Jesus has defeated the enemy. And Jesus' victory is your victory. Your life has great meaning today. And not only has Jesus done these things for you past tense, he's working on your behalf today. The creator and the sustainer of the universe, God Almighty, he is mindful of you today. So I ask you the question, are you living in him? Trusting him. Are you finding your meaning in him today? Today, do you know that his grace is sufficient? His grace is sufficient. No matter what you face in life today, (coughs) his grace is sufficient for you. He loves you. He cares about what you're facing today. He doesn't promise to make all your problems go away. But he promises to be with you. And before he left the disciples, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amazing. Creator of the universe. Promised in the Old Testament. Is mindful of you. He cares about you. So we're going to go before the Lord today in prayer. He's given us this gift called prayer. He's given us the gift of His Word, which we've looked at today. He's also given us the gift of prayer. He speaks to us in His Word, and we speak to Him in prayer. Is there a sin in your life that you need to confess? Is there something that you're going through that you you just don't have the strength to face it today? Is there something for which you're so grateful for and so filled with joy and you haven't acknowledged that these good things are from him? That every good gift is from him. Give him thanks. We're going to take a moment before we receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. I'm going to have Harvey go ahead and make his way to the altar. Let's prepare our hearts to receive from the Lord today. Lord Jesus, we come before you. And in in this moment of quiet and silence, I know that this is such a hectic time. People traveling, gifts that probably I'm sure there's a number of people in here that need to buy some stuff this afternoon. Whatever it is, Lord, in all the, 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 the busyness of this season, we take this moment now in silence to talk to you. So church, confess. Give thanks. Talk to your Creator. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are mindful of us today. Thank you that you are with us today. You live in us, you are our hope. Lord, we are about ready to receive this sacrament. This promise of your grace and mercy. (coughs) Fill us once again. Fill us once again with the wonder of you taking on flesh. For the purpose of going to the cross where your body was broken and your blood was shed. Help us, Lord, in faith to receive the benefits of this promise in the bread and the wine. Knowing that we're not worthy of this this, uh, sacrament, we're not worthy of this gift. Because of your grace, you invite us to come forward to this altar and to receive you afresh and anew. To know that our sins are forgiven. To know that we have everlasting life.